Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What have you learned about building a relevant, high-share brand among Gen Z? Jim, it's almost about what have I unlearned to engage with Gen Z. So I've been in this seat at brands like Calvin Klein and Abercrombie & Fitch, where our high-touch, high-control, we tell you what is cool and how to look. And the reality is Gen Z is in control. And I have been on that personal journey over the last couple of years at American Eagle. And when you kind of let go of that control, it's a little scary. It's like jumping off a cliff, but it's also very freeing and very rewarding. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Craig Brommers, the Chief Marketing Officer at American Eagle Outfitters, the ubiquitous youth-focused clothing and accessories retailer. American Eagle Outfitters, AEO for short, has about 1,000 stores globally and about 40,000 associates. The company was founded in 1977 in Pittsburgh by brothers Jerry and Mark Silverman and has since grown to about $5 billion in annual sales. My guest Craig is about as experienced in fashion retailing as it gets. He has worked at Speedo, Calvin Klein, Abercrombie & Fitch, and Gap before joining AEO about three years ago. Just before AEO, Craig had a brief diversion as CMO at Jewel Labs, the electronic cigarette company. We'll talk about that. Craig is a UCLA Anderson MBA graduate. I always love interviewing UCLA Bruins. It's the alma mater of my wife and daughter. Here's my conversation with a guy who has a lot to say about marketing to Generation Z. This conversation was recorded earlier this summer at the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity. Here's Craig. Craig, welcome to the CMO Podcast, special Cannes edition. I understand it's your first time at this overwhelming creativity festival. So first impressions, I know we're we're recording on day one of the festival, so you're probably just getting over your jet lag. You know what? It, it's it been so fun to see old friends and meet new friends. And as you know, Jim, I've only been here for 24 hours, but it is energy on steroids. And it's just fun. And I think it's such an interesting time for marketers as brand building c- collides with technology um, that I'm looking forward to a really fascinating week ahead. 
So have you met anyone or been to a presentation in the first 24 hours that has struck you? You know, last night I had dinner with Evan Spiegel at Snap um, and with American Eagle, Gen Z lives on yeah. Snap. So it's always fun to hear his perspective on what's happening with that audience. And there's so much interest around mental health yeah. and the impact that social media might have at, on it. And I think Snap is such an interesting platform because, as you know, it's more one-to-one -one or one-to-a-few and not broadcast. So um, interesting to hear about their plans in, in, in the year ahead. Yeah. I'm on that platform, I think, more than any right now. In fact, I was just doing a snap coming up to the yacht to send to my friends, nieces, nephews, and I tripped. So there's a, there's a snap warning. I didn't fall down. I, that's another story. I have fallen off the stage in Cannes, so we can get into that <laughs> if you'd like to later. Uh, you have stores in France. Are you yep. building any time in for store visits or... Not on this visit, Jim. So, um, you know, we have the second largest store fleet in the U.S., but to your point, we're building out mm -hmm. the brands um, overseas, and it's exciting. Last night, someone bumped into me, some Italians, and they were like, wow, we're so excited American Eagle is coming to Italy. So it's fun to hear that your brand has that much power and energy behind it before you even arrive. So um, let's see what develops. Well, listen, I want to talk a bit about your role as CMO. You've been there three years, I think. That's right. At AEO. You were selected on the top 50 CMO in the Forbes Entrepreneurial CMO list. Congratulations. Thank you. We've had about 15 or 16 on the show of those 50. So we're delighted to have you today. And the reason, at least in the write-up I read, was because of your absolute breakthrough success in building this brand among Gen Z consumers. So I'd like you to t go there with us in a little bit more of a granular way than you might if you were on the stage here in Cannes to talk about what have you learned about building a relevant high share brand among Gen Z, what's working, what doesn't work. So share with us a bit the principles behind your playbook. Jim, it's almost about what have I unlearned to engage with Gen Z. So I've been in this seat at brands like Calvin Klein and Abercrombie & Fitch, where our high touch, high control, we tell you what is cool and how to look. And the reality is Gen Z is in control. And I have been on that personal journey over the last couple of years at American Eagle. And when you kind of let go of that control. It's a little scary. It's like jumping off a cliff, but it's also very freeing and very rewarding. So, you know, I kind of joke that I TikTok my way through my workday, but for real, you know, they're on, on TikTok more than, than, than any other platform. And 99% of the content that we do there is creator-led. Um, and it's a very light brief and you're in control. So I do think that the ability to let someone else lead your story within some brand guardrails has probably been lesson one. Lesson two is embrace failure. And, you know, I say that Gen Z has the attention span of a gnat. They will forget as long as you don't step into a landmine. And I think we have not been perfect. We do not have a perfect batting uh, average, but that has been embraced. Uh, and sometimes those failures led to bigger unlocks. And I think the the third thing is, is that we have to be part of youth culture and we have to be focused on what we're doing. And, and that focus has been around fashion, around music, around community impact, and around uh, an emerging sports gaming and NIL stuff. So that's kind of what we've learned and it's been pretty successful over the last couple of years. You also have to have a brand that is meaningful to them, right? That has a sense of values, purpose, mission that they identify with. So what have you learned about that? So what we've learned is 
A, we have to listen to Gen Z constantly, uh, and we're doing it in all sorts of clever ways. But I think the biggest thing is we have a panel of 2,000 Gen Z men and women that we can ask any question on any topic at any time, and we do. Um, and one of the things that we've heard in such a terrific way is that when people engage with the American Eagle brand, they feel like it's a warm hug, and it's very inclusive and welcoming, and you're part of something bigger. And I think that that has only built as we're kind of now on the other side of of the pandemic and Gen Z returns to the physical mm -hmm. stores as much as they engage with us through some of our digital commerce. And listen, again, to compare and contrast my personal experiences at ANF, which to be fair was more during the Gen Y height, it was exclusive. And again, we, we tell you what to wear and what to look like. And I'll give AE credit. They were ahead of the curve in doing the opposite. You do you. Um, we're going to embrace diversity. We're going to embrace body positivity. Um, and that has been um, part of the, the success of this brand with Gen Z, which by the way, remember Jim, AE has been around since 1977. So there are constantly new generations that are um, in, engaging with this brand, which keeps us on our toes for always looking at what's new and what's next. So how do the, it was founded in Pittsburgh, correct? That's right. So yeah. how's that affect the vibe of the brand? I think for one thing, it really roots us in uh, being real and yeah. being authentic. We're not a coastal brand, although, of course, we sell and, and, and successfully sell on the coast. But we do embrace middle America. We embrace the, that, that community aspect. My boss, Jen Foyle, always says, be humble, be hungry, be kind. And I think that that has some Midwest kind of roots as well. And as does a warm hug. That's right. And, and, and so I think that... You know, still with confidence and 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 with the pride that we are the number one Gen Z retailer out there, has kind of set us apart uh, compared to some of our key competitors. Yeah, could you talk a bit of how you approach your internal organization and your agencies? You know, with this focus on Gen Z and this listening and this uh, always on, leveraging the two thousand person panel that you have, which is brilliant. But talk to me a bit a bit about how that affects who you hire, how you structure it, what work your marketing group does, who you choose to partner with. So Jim, we're more of a do-it-yourself kind of organization. So we're not all agency mm -hmm. up. And I think that that has led us to be a bit more flexible, a little bit more nimble. Because if you remember in retail, every hour of every day, I get a sales read and the bat phone can ring from any, any you know other department. And that could be, you know, what's going on, we need to drive traffic here, or let's accelerate some momentum here. And I've just found it personally better to do that in-house and all mm -hmm. uh, layered up with, with agencies. Having said that, my team is young. Um, and so most of my marketing associate population is Gen Z themselves. And I hopefully have fostered a culture where the 22-year-old kid who is just starting with our company can call me out and say, hey, Brahmers, you got it all wrong. Because sometimes I do worry that a CMO sits in his or her ivory tower and, and isn't as close to the consumer as possible. So I love the fact that my team actually is free to say, you know what, that sounds great to a Gen Xer, but mm -hmm. you know, Gen Z will think you're crazy or, or think you're off-brand or, or whatever it is. So I almost always, whether it's on Zoom, I try to go to the the youngest person on on the team or in a group physical setting now, I always seek out, 
hey, does this check with what you're thinking? Yes, no. And if, if not, what would you do? And I think that that's created a really sense of innovation and risk-taking mm-hmm. on our marketing team. Yeah. I, I often hear from retail that merchandisers drive the show, right? So could you speak a bit about marketing within American Eagle, where it fits, how important, how you work with the merchandisers? Because I think the best ones get it right, right? They do understand the balance between merchandising super important. But how do you think about that in American Eagle? You know, I've had the privilege of leading marketing for American retailers where marketing is so important. In fact, some, I'll put Calvin Klein on the mm-hmm. table, that marketing is actually more important yeah. than the product. At AE, I think it's a nice balance. I have a great product partner um, and she is an extremely talented merchant with an extremely high confidence of what needs to happen from a product perspective. And of course, you need and want some healthy friction as you're building the brand and, and building those customer experiences. But marketing is such an important component of, of what we do. And in fact, one of the most important levers as, as, to pull as we battle the Amazons, the Targets, the Walmarts, the Sheehan's of the world. Um, and so we spend as much time on building that brand as we do just building product. Yeah. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you're, you know more about Gen Z than most people on this planet. You've been CMO for three years. What is changing with Gen Z? I mean, in terms of what they value, what's important, you know, the brands they love, how they're spending their time. What have you seen shifting in the last three years, if anything? There's a couple things to keep on mind. One is I do think Gen Z is talking out of both sides of their mouths when it comes to sustainability, which is a really big and important subject for my industry. We have not always been Mm -hmm. the best stewards of the planet. And I'm really proud of the progress that we're making at American Eagle on this particular topic. And I hear it in panels or focus groups or even when I interact, you know, with consumers in stores. And yet, and yet they're out buying $3 tops from the bad actors like Sheehan. Yeah. And so it is interesting, this sustainability and, and how much is Gen Z committed to it. So that's, I think that's one to watch. Second one to watch is honestly social media. 
and honestly, is screen time. And, and as much as Gen Z literally lives on their phone and literally lives on social media, I'm beginning to pick up more and more that they want to disengage and have some free time away from some of the more harmful aspects of that. And we're really beginning to think about how would we perhaps foster that, that particular um, idea. And then I think that the third thing coming out of the pandemic you know, physical stores were supposed to be dead and everything was going to be on screen. And Gen Z is like, not so fast. They are social creatures by habit. Um, and yes, that's, you know, a, a double meaning, social media, but also social in the real world. And we've seen a resurgence of, of store traffic that has really powered the success of our company over the last couple of years. How do you think about your stores these days versus pre-pandemic? I think they're more of a sense of community than ever before. And I think when our customers come into our stores, they're looking for advice and guidance to build their confidence. I think that the, the digital world can do that to some extent, but one-on-one -on -one interaction with a real live human being is still just different. And I love the fact that our 35,000 store associates are Gen Zers themselves. And in fact, so much of our success is, is built around them that we've actually built an influencer network called MyAE, some of our best performing content. And it's just our store associates riffing on style, riffing on values, riffing on you know their personal communities. And so for all the great work we do with some of the bold-faced names in this so-called creator economy, it's funny that actually some of the most influential people are good old-fashioned store associates. I love that. Do you and how do you incent that? Do you just give them the freedom to do it, or is there something else to it? Well, we pay them to do it um, yeah. because it's on on their time. Yeah. But this was really the insight that you just mentioned that, you know, what does your customer feel like when you go in the store and how can you activate that? Um, and some of these kids are better content creators than than others. And we've actually now created a completely different career path for some of them. Usually if you're in stores and you're passionate about retail, you perhaps could continue on the management side. Well, now you could join the marketing team. And it's just so fun to see that aspect. And when I go and visit stores, not only are associates exciting, uh, are excited about some of the product and store experiences, they're really excited to show some of the content they've built out. Yeah. I saw a LinkedIn post you put out there recently with your global marketing team together in person, in real time, looking very happy, looking like you're having a great time. So I'd like to list or, or probe a little bit where you spend your time these days. Three years in the job, you've got confidence, the brand's doing some amazing things with your with your consumers. So where are you personally focused if we had to look at your calendar? It's always people first. Um, and I think the further you go up the food chain and, and you get to this CMO level, it really is the connection with your people. And I try to take a perspective that I'm here to support, build, and inspire the team. I don't know everything. I, I don't pretend to know everything. And I always tell the team, I'm going to ask some stupid questions. Here, here, here we go. And so, you know, 80, 90% of my time is, is, is with the team and, 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 and building up and, and supporting the people. I have purposely populated my team with eager, younger people that are starting out in their careers. And I feed off that energy and it's been good for me as well. 
You mentioned, I want to talk about your history a bit here for a moment. You've referred to it a few times so far, but this is, as I counted, basically your fifth CMO role, mm. right? Speedo, Calvin Klein, Abercrombie & Fitch, Jewel Labs, and now American Eagle. I'd like you to talk a bit about how this role is most different from those ones you've had before. I think it's most different, honestly, because of the unique time uh, that that. I'm operating in this world where technology and data and analytics is just imp as important in my job as as building brands. I think when you think again about my days at Calvin and you think about my days at Abercrombie to some extent at Gap, you know, I spent more of my time probably on brand building, creative storytelling, defining culture. And mm -hmm. now while I do that, I spend just as much time on the you know, the, the quant side of, of the business. And it's been personally fascinating to, you know, build even my own capability in that area, but personally fascinating to, to see what we can do to, to connect to our audiences. Of the roles you've had leading up to this, which one for you was the most developmental, the most stretching? I think the the one that was most developmental was probably Abercrombie and Fitch because I got to work directly for Mike Jeffries, who is one of the merchant princes of my industries. Mm -hmm. Les Wexner at VS, Mickey Drexler at Gap, and then and then Mike Jeffries at ANF. As you may have seen in the Netflix documentary, it was you know a roller coaster inside yep. of of ANF. But no one taught me the attention to detail that that Mike did in terms of really building out a brand, and that was right into the campus that that we worked out of uh, in Columbus, Ohio, right literally down to the pencil that mm -hmm. that was on my desk. And I think that attention to detail and how everything matters as you build brands has been something that has stayed with me for the rest of my career. Yeah. What was it about him as a leader that was so, so I mean, it's attention to detail, but was it that he valued brand, that he spent time in different ways? What was it about him that made him so effective? I think the thing that made Mike so interesting was when the industry zigged, he was not afraid to zag. And he did things that pushed buttons in ways that perhaps no brand did over the last 20 years, maybe Calvin to some extent. Mm -hmm. But he did things that were controversial. He knew it was going to be controversial. He fanned those flames and, and withstood a lot of external criticism because it was right for the customer. And as you remember, Jim, you know, those nightclub settings, mm -hmm. dark, the the smell of the fierce fragrance, yeah. the, the music just cranked up, the beautiful looking um, associates there created the must visit place in the mall for that millennial generation. And so I do think that, you know, the bravery that he took is, is, is extends to my career now and those brave risks are maybe a little bit different than, mm -hmm. than he made them. But that, I think, is something that has stuck with, uh, stuck with me. How do you take that lesson that you just talked about into your organization to encourage risk-taking, you know, to let go of your brand a bit for the creators? I mean, how do you as a leader ensure that people understand that's okay, that's, we want that? Because it doesn't always work, as you said. That it doesn't always work. But I do think that this predates me is that we've taken some of the most bold risk in retail over the last 10 years, and it's worked out well for us. And I think that's why we are energized to continue to do that. Our sister brand, Aerie, is a, is a mm -hmm. great example, right? So if you think at the time where they made the brave, bold move to be the first brand to not retouch their models, to have models that had different 
sides and shapes of bodies to to support women. This is a time where Victoria's Secret was at their height. And people thought they were batshit crazy to do that. You can't do that. Well, they did. And they became the fastest growing retail concept out there. And again, as you think about American Eagle, the brand, you know, embracing some of the emerging cultural tidal wave of, of Gen Z at the time, you can't do that. You can't, you can't show all these different types of people, you know, it worked and it worked really well. And I think today, to your point, I think the biggest brand risk or brand boldness is really turning our brand over to Gen Z, turning it over to creators. Mm -hmm. But it's worked out so well because uh, we've had more than our fair share of these viral moments where not just the brand has been loved, we've had true commercial successes. And I can promise you, a guy like me doesn't get to sit in my chair for very long just by fancy brand metrics. You have to sell shit as well. Yeah, for sure. Early in your career, you spent 10 years at Speedo. Yeah. So that's a long time. You know, what what was it about that time in your life or that culture or that company or that category that kept you there for 10 years? You know what? Michael Phelps made me look very good. That's the short <laughs> answer. So, you know, really my arc there at Speedo really um, was, the, was the Michael Phelps Olympics. It was yeah. Sydney, it was Athens, and then obviously his record-breaking success at Beijing. I had many different roles. And so while it was a long run, it felt like almost three career arcs there. Came in at the director level. You know, I I worked often directly with uh, CEO Linda Walkner, who was infamous for being one of the toughest bosses on this planet. She, She took a liking to me and she was as aggressive as any hard charging CEO uh, could, could ever be. You know, it was fun to just experience that. But again, I, I moved up and and it was fun. But to be fair, the CEO of the parent company called Warnico did call me up after Beijing and, and gave me some career advice that I've actually stuck to since then was like, Craig, you probably don't want to be at the same party forever. Maybe it's time to think about different parties to be at. And I loved my experience. And I'm someone that takes um, just as much personal joy out of my gigs as much as professional joy, but it was good advice from a CEO and, and that my career arcs since then have been more typical of a CMO these mm-hmm. days where right or wrong, you know, they're three-ish year yep. gigs yep. and whether you make a decision to go or you're pushed, that is something that I've experienced for the last 15 years or so. Sure. You left fashion once in your career to yep. go to Jewel. Yep. Uh, what was that like? And would you leave fashion again? So obviously that was the most controversial move yeah. I've made. Um, I left Gap and and ultimately had a, a couple career opportunities. I won't name the others, but they were definitely more in that retail wheelhouse. And Jim, I was fascinated to potentially try a rocket ship of growth in the technology space. And because I had been at Calvin and AF, I wasn't bashful about controversy, but I'll be honest, probably did not appreciate you know the hornet's nest that I was about to walk into. And I would just say one other thing. Unfortunately, my grandmother passed away due to cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's always the toughest conversation I have because people have such firm yeah. beliefs on on what Jewel Labs was doing. But I can sit you sit with you here and look you in the eye and say most of us there um, were were there to carry out the mission to eradicate cancer causing cigarette smoke. Anyways, it was only a nine month gig, mm-hmm. and they, as you may 
know from all the the news headlines, literally shut down the marketing department, even though we were making some some really nice progress on 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 that mission. And yeah, I would potentially think about something mm-hmm. in in a different space. The AE opportunity came along at the right time, and sometimes these gigs do, right? Yeah. So I kind of joke, you know, I was the most hated CMO in the country. Here's a <laughs> pandemic. Uh, go find a job, right? But, you know, AE is basically like uh, the perfect fitting glove for me. And luckily, I've got a great CEO and chairman, Jay Schottenstein, who didn't care about some of that and just thought, who was the right person? to to lead um, this brand on its next trajectory, and it's worked out pretty well. Who have been the most important mentors for you on this journey, this long career journey? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is Helen McCluskey, CEO of, of Warnico Calvin Klein, and she was one that really gave me opportunities and, and opened doors for me, and so uh, and someone I still keep in touch with today. Mike Jeffries is probably another one. He has come, if not a recluse, you know, definitely faded into the background, but he sends me handwritten notes um, uh, on my career with advice or congratulations mm. or promise. Maybe you th- should think about it in this way as as well. And um, I've never had one single phone call with, with Mike since I left, but those handwritten uh, letters have meant a lot to me. So I think that has been, has been great. And then one of my first bosses, his name is Steve Brenner. He was and is still the, the lead of a boutique sports marketing company that I joined in 1996 and was someone who believes in me and gave me the opportunity to pursue some of my sports passions. His company works with tennis, with the NFL, with NASCAR, with baseball. Baseball, and that's been fun. And I do uh, continue to keep in touch with with Steve as well. And you made time for an, an executive MBA along the way, right? You're an Anderson graduate, UCLA Anderson. I taught there uh, after you were there. Tell us about that. What? Why did you do that? Was it worth it? What kind of life experience was it for you at the time? You glad you did it? I assume you are. Yeah, a couple things come to mind, Jim. I think one thing is I didn't want those three letters to block any opportunities for me. And I know that continued education, especially for Gen Z, has been a little bit more of a question mark. But for a Gen Xer back when I started the program, roughly 2000, it was an important you know, gateway. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to do that. Anderson, as you know, is one of the very best MBA programs. I happened to live at LA, in LA at the time. I thought that would be great if I could get in and, and do that. And the third thing, and this is probably one of the harder decisions I made was my career was actually going well and I didn't want to stop. And so I made the decision to go all in and pursue an MBA while I was still at, at Speedo. My wife and I at the time did not have kids, so that probably helped. But dude, it was all-consuming and um, you know, to, to pursue both a career and, and an MBA program as um, aggressive as, as Anderson was a lot. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I got through it. And I will never do it again. Yeah. I, when I taught at Anderson, I taught at night the executive MBA, a three-hour course once a week at night. Now, you know, I was I had such admiration for the students who were dealing with their daytime job, the commute, the traffic of LA, and getting there and bringing it. You know, I actually enjoyed teaching that class more than I did the full-time MBAs. Yeah, and I think that it taught those students that pursued that, you know, there's two 
very valuable resources in life. One is financial, but honestly, time is the other mm -hmm. valuable resource and, and honestly could be even more valuable. And I think that the ability to, to hyper-schedule your day both personally and professionally has been something that has continued on. And to your point, Jim, I mean, there were some talented people, Disney, Sony, Hilton. I mean, they yeah. were all in that program. Um, and it, 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 it's been fun to keep in touch with some of them as they, as their career has progressed. I want to talk a good bit about creativity because we're here at Can Lions. You've been in creative industries your whole career. You're quite a, a leader of, of creative people and creative processes. So first one is, what do you feel are the characteristics of a creative organization? How do you know it when you see it? What sorts of things does it do, not do? So speak a bit about that. I think the first thing that comes to mind is risk taking and mm -hmm. and so many brands can get into their formula their pattern and sometimes honestly it's still working well but I think the the most creative organizations and creative brands always are continuing to push themselves on what's the next chapter of your story and where are you going next so I think that's one thing I think too in the year 2023 the ability to express your brand or have others express your brand values, there's so many options out there that I think uh, being on the forefront of of new ways and, and new platforms to tell your story has is has been pretty important. And then, um, you know, for for a brand like American Eagle, it really is all about youth culture, and and Gen Z wants you and almost demands you to go to some provocative places, um, some sensitive places. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to go on that with them. And even I get the butterflies in the stomach of, wow, we're going there. Okay, here we go. When you say sensitive places, things like mental health and it areas like It could be like mental that. health. It could be Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. It could be, I can't even believe I'm saying this in the year 2023. It could be pride. And these are things that I th would think are just generally accepted, you know, uh, areas to explore. And again, we sell in blue states, red states. Mm -hmm. you know, we're purple. We're we're all the things. And it's gotten trickier in this seat to navigate even things, especially for a Gen Z brand that would just be natural. And to be sure that you do mostly the right things for the brand in that environment, you lean on these 2,000 consumers out there for advice, guidance, reactions? Yes. And, you know, both our store associate population and our employee mm -hmm. associate population. And then I think always trying to do the right thing. And, and, and we've talked already about some brave and bold moves that the, the, the brands have made before. And I think that's helped us, you know, be a little bit more rock solid in what mm -hmm. we're doing. You know, it, witnessing some of the excitement that Bud Light and others went through this year, we actually went out earlier than ever um, with with pride, and it wasn't to 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 shove anything in anyone's face, but it was just like this is who we are, this is our associate population, and we're going to, you know, back to that warm hug. We're going to give you the warm hug, no matter what your background mm -hmm. is, and I think that move was hopefully noticed by the customer base, but even more importantly, was noticed by the employee based. Um, and I think at the end of the day, they're the last mile between us and 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 the customer. And if they feel like they're supported um, and they're energized and inspired, I know that that's going to lead to better results. You're already sort of going there, but I'd like you to talk about things that you do to be sure your organization knows that you value creativity. 
what are sort of some of the signals, the rituals you might have, the communication, to be sure there's no doubt that the guy at the top wants us to be creative. I, I think, and again, going back to a mentor in Mike Jeffries is good enough is not great. And so- So standard setting. Yeah. yeah. I think in retail, it it is- you know, an adrenaline-filled roller coaster, and sometimes you you need to put the pencil down and move on with your day. But sometimes you look at it and you say, you know what? I think this team could do better than this. What if you thought about it in this way? Or, you know, if you had the benefit of an extra hour, an extra day, what, what where would you go with this? And sometimes then that means I've got to run interference on behalf of my team with other cross-functional partners to say, we need a little bit more breathing space. We're almost there, but if we just if we just had a little bit more time or we just unlock this, I know this will net out a better positive result. So here we go. So I think that's something that that is helpful for a CMO, a CMO to do in mm-hmm. in a in a more creative role. Yeah. How do you ensure that you individually are operating in a creative space? I mean, I've been you know, how do you avoid exhaustion? burnout, uh, starting to feel stale, a bit out of touch. So what do you do? Any, any, how you spend your time, how you spend your time when you're not at work. So any tips you have to keep yourself creative? It's so interesting that the number one thing that we hear from our associates is, is burnout and exhaustion. And one thing that I hope is contributing to at least acknowledging that is I, I say that to my team and, you know, I've got almost 250 marketers on the team and sometimes I need a breather and a break. And for me, going out into the real world and it's walking the streets of New York or it's going to a museum or it's actually reaching out to someone that I've seen great work from them and I, and I haven't even met this person, but I say, I just love to learn how you operate mm-hmm. and, and what you're doing out there and, 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 and how I might be able to be inspired by that. So I do think purposely building in time, if it's not in your week, at least in your month to, to, to have those breathers is important um, for, for me personally. Yeah. What's the most creative initiative you're, you've ever been a part of in your career? One that you look back on and say, wow, this one was really special. I think the most creative thing that I've ever done was probably being part of the team that developed these suits called the Laser Racer, which was these full body swimsuits that was worn by Michael Phelps and ultimately 93% of the Olympic gold medalist in Beijing. Why it was so amazing, it was a multi-year journey and and marketing had a seat at the table in that journey. And I remember as we were building it out, I kept on, we kept on saying we need a hook, we need an angle. And of course, Michael Phelps and other swimming fast was was one of them. But we ultimately collectively as a team decided that having a suit that was co-developed by NASA would give us a hook that the average person could tap into and 
obviously the engineers and the technology team brought it. But I remember, you know, the summer of 2008 in the buildup to Beijing, when that suit was on the front cover, not of sports, the front cover of New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, you know, in, in the in the top news pod of of the Today Show, because all these records were be broken. That's that's when you know that you've cut through something. And again, I was really proud that it wasn't just the technical team that unbelievably done this. It was really the marketers at the table at the same time and this kind of symbiotic working uh, partnership together. So the lesson from that, because I do remember it, and that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I remember it visually. It was it just took over culture. So if you strip it away, what was it about that? Was it the visual nature of it, the timing? Yeah, I think that I think we had to remember there were two audiences. One was the actual competitive um, swimming audience that obviously needed to have the conviction and confidence to have the race of their lives mm-hmm. in the suit that would help them win gold in a sport where winning literally is hundreds of a second, uh, you know, from from gold to silver. But the other part of it is, you know, Speedo is the number one selling swimwear company on the planet. And most of those are by guys like you and I mm-hmm. who are are putting on swim trunks and, and, and going on a family vacation or going to the, the local pool. And, you know, we needed to try to reframe Speedo not just as, you know, the so-called banana hammock, but it was technology and it was technology that could could be a part of every day and it worked and it worked very well who's the most creative person you've ever worked with uh, yeah i think the most creative person would probably have to be mike jeffries but i will say i work with one right now and she's my boss jen foyle chief creative officer for american eagle president mm-hmm. of the company and i think that the thing that she does well is get me and my team uncomfortable and i like to think of myself as being innovative and forward thinking and like to think that our brand is always getting the first phone call um, to to try some new stuff, but she will shake the cages and 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 try to get us to think about something in a different way, and I think that that's really healthy for me personally, but also healthy for our company. How do you work with her? I mean, what kind of issues do you? talk about with her? How often do you communicate? What sort of marketing issues does she want to get involved with? She and I are communicating 10, 15 times a day. I mean, you know, text is a beautiful thing and yeah. and, and text can be an invasive thing as well. But I think that, you know, what what I have have taken in is she can be a stream of conscious creative in, in the best of ways. And then it's my and my team's um, opportunity to take and digest what she's saying and then apply it in the real world in ways that that we can. And ag- again, she is someone that will say, eh, no, you, gotta, you guys can do better than this. You can take it one step. And I think that probably is helping us be you know, one of the better performing retailers out there. Yeah. How do you guys stay aligned on the kind of brand you're trying to build. I know you're getting lots of your creators are involved, your associates are involved. But at the end of the day, you know, it's an organization has to have all the great brands. They have a common view of the brand they're trying to build. How do you do that with your large organization? I love this question, Jim, because I think if you and I were having this 10 years ago, you and I would have built these brand books and 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 mm-hmm. we would have done a good job of communicating these brand books out to the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that work for, you know, a a a five and a half billion dollar company. 
But what I've learned is that brands are living, breathing organisms that can evolve and change almost every day. And so what I've wrapped my head around is there have to be, again, some guardrails that you're operating in, but you you have to to be open and and have the freedom to explore different expressions of the brand, no matter if that's the marketing or the product. And we're actually right now having conversations around purpose and are there places that we want to explore and evolve. And it's probably the most different and unique purpose finding experience that I've had in my career um, because it is very much free flowing as opposed to you're going to knock on the door of one of these big brand building agencies or you're going it, to, it, it's, it's, it's not by August 1, we're going to have something. Mm-hmm. It's this living, breathing, you know, action that we're taking. Why are you having the discussion now about purpose and where well, you're taking it? Is it some inflection point or what is it? Guess what? Gen Alpha is is yeah. right around the corner. Yeah. And they're approaching 13, 14 years old. Our core buying audience is age 15 to 25. And so we're beginning to ask, what are the nuances and differences of Gen Alpha? And and what do we need to be prepared for? And, and what do we need to begin in, to engage with? I think last year, uh, a great example of that, Jim, was... We had the second most successful brand activation on Roblox, only behind Gucci in terms of mm-hmm. engagement. And Roblox is, as you know, a, a gen alpha phenomenon. And I asked all the dumb CMO questions and my team responded with all the, just let us go and let us explore. And sure enough, you know, we had about 65 million engagements. Um, you could play tennis with Coco Goff. You could attend a concert with some of the musicians we were working with. You could outfit your avatar with AE clothes. And ultimately, we actually integrated our loyalty program in it. And, and that was fun as well. And it just tells me that the retail industry has become the entertainment industry. And all of us are battling for attention. And if we don't have an entertaining way for people to either engage or buy, um, we will die. And so that has kind of been the the next phase as, as, as we think about where retail is going. What else are you learning about Gen Alpha? I think they're a, a little bit pragmatic. Uh, they, they kind of were sh- shooken up a bit. And so I wonder, or, or at least they're telling us, they may not be as value-driven as Gen Y has been. So I think that's going to be interesting. I do think, again, this pushback against screen time wall-to-wall mm-hmm. will be interesting mm-hmm. to to follow. Obviously, they will continue to be the most diverse population. And, and what does that mean? How we show up as a brand? And that doesn't mean just from a marketing perspective. It, it means for our clothes too, color palettes, size and shapes. We get a lot of credit out there for, you know, we're the number one selling jeans for women of all ages in America, by far number one selling jeans for, for Gen Z. But we get a lot of credit because, you know, you could have curvier sizes, you could have different lengths. And it 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 goes into... I'm an individual if I'm Gen Z or I'm Gen Alpha. And when a brand takes the extra step to recognize that even down to offering a 35 inseam length when Levi's and others don't, that 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 is something that tells your customer you care enough about them to go that extra mile. 
What's the first brand you remember triggering your creativity as a young boy? Yeah. So again, I'm a Gen Xer. So, you know, I was a young boy in the seventies and I absolutely loved going to the movies. And I, I think I would have to say Disney, the wonderment that they brought to, uh, to their stories, uh, you know, opened my eyes up to, to storytelling. First movie I ever saw was, was Peter Pan. Uh, I, you know, last night, I was kindly invited to uh, get a preview of the collaboration that Disney and Snap is doing here as they bring uh, some of their properties to life through augmented reality. And it really actually... I kind of got butterflies again, remembering that the 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 wonderment that I uh, had to see some of those initial Disney movies, and the wonderment now that is possible uh, through augmented reality and bringing some of those stories to life is pretty exciting. Favorite Disney movie of all time? Favorite Disney movie of all time? I don't know. Can I say the Star Wars? Yeah, is I think part you can. of yeah, part of uh, you can go Disney. To Marvel, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Star Wars again. I remember seeing it with my dad. In a drive-in when those existed back in you know the 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 mid seventies and again the, wonder, the speaker on the window yeah, right the yeah. speakers on the window and being outside with the you know literally the stars at at night and you've got these massive screens and it felt larger than life. I was a kid of two public school teachers, born and raised in Spokane, Washington, a great mm. middle class, but, but a humble beginning. And, and the wonder and amazement and just the bigness of that, I think, probably inspired me. Yeah, it's beautiful. Spokane's a great place. I was up there for my first time this winter. Yeah, a great place if you love the outdoors. Yeah. I grew up snow skiing, water skiing, hiking. You um, skied Red Mountain? Not that, more um, Mount Spokane, yeah. 49 degrees north, Great Mountain in Sandpoint as well. But because my parents, again, were public school teachers, they had the summers off. Um, and so just kind of that sense of outdoor adventure was instilled in me. And and while I live um, in the suburbs of New York City now in a, in a town called Greenwich, Connecticut, you will find me, especially in the summertime, always outside whether it's paddling, whether it's hiking, whether it's whatever it is, the the outdoors have been important, to, you know. And again, that kind of that that mental breather for me. Yeah. What's your favorite outdoor activity these tennis days? Tennis is my is tennis, is definitely yeah. my my favorite. I'm I'm a decent tennis player. I play actually with a bunch of CMOS. Um, and oh, one that. thing that um, I've learned as I've done either panels or you know, a closed door thing is um, I do mention my love for tennis. And now uh, there's a Sunday pickup game. And many of my buddies are are here in Cannes this week, and we're going to hopefully get out on the courts once or twice. But it's been it's been a fun social thing and then a fun stress reliever for me as well. And Jim, I'm going to have you know that I passed up the chance to hang out with Maria Sharapova oh, today yeah, I know. I know. to me hang too. out with you in this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we can um, run down and see her yeah, after right? this. Yeah, right. Exactly. She's been on the show, you know. I know. I yeah. listened to it actually. Yeah, show. with with her partnership with Evian, and, and you know, I sound like a jerk when I say this, but I actually did get a chance to hang out with Maria a couple of weeks ago. So um, I wanted to hang no, out it with you. Doesn't sound like a jerk. In, in, instead, but thank you for that. Last uh, year, we partnered with Coco Goff, who is yeah. at that time a 17 year old tennis phenom, and it was just so fun for me to work with her and her team and her family. 
the most amazing kid and um, a, you know a great ambassador for for Gen Z and for mm-hmm. our brand because there, she was a multifaceted person, obviously known for tennis, but honestly should be known just as much for the kindness, the generosity, and the passion she brings to other aspects of her life She's as well. wonderful. I played Anna Ivanovic here in Canada a no. few years ago. Yeah. She was my doubles partner. That is awesome. We she was a, the court she's then. a great doubles partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played in Cam many times. Okay, okay. It's a good diversion from getting away from the chaos. I know, I know. I have and a, there's a pickleball court set up on you know down, down at Sport Beach. Oh, I know. I was, I'm definitely going to get out in the pickleball court. I was out with uh, some of the, my friends from Stagwell last night. And so we have a death, pickleball death match planned, maybe for very early tomorrow morning. So oh, if you, if you maybe hear, I'll come out. I was going to say, if you if you How hear early? the screams <laughs> are at eight a.m. in the morning from from your hotel, you'll know it's it's Craig in that in that pickleball death match. I love it. Well, listen, uh, I'm a bit out of your demo in American Beach, but I am a big Todd Snyder fan. So if you could tell your colleagues, I appreciate what they do. I think their communication with me is wonderful. Uh, I got a lot of Todd Snyder at Christmas this year, so I wear it very proudly, and I love the brand. You're not the first person to tell it. It's a, it's one of our faster-growing brands, and I think they've done such a great job of great American classics, very well-made, as you know, you know, a, a little bit more aspirational in pricing, but still yeah. not crazy. The 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 love for those products and the love for that that brand is real, and Todd himself is another one of the great brand builders in in retail, and I think this brand will have a lot of success for the years to come. I think so too, and I hope so. Craig, thank you. Have a great Can Week. This has been marvelous, and thank you for choosing us over Maria Sharapova. Well, Jim, you're a legend, and it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. That was my conversation with Craig Brommers. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First one is find creative ways to stay in touch with your consumers. I love that American Eagle has this panel of 2,000 consumers. They go to them a lot for advice, counsel, ideas, inspiration. It's always on. They always have a place to go when they want input. Second one, when I asked Craig how to market to Gen Z, he said I had to unlearn a lot of things to learn. I love that concept. Unlearn to learn. It keeps us open, it keeps us curious, and it keeps us asking why. And third takeaway, look for creative ways to create content about your brand. American Eagle leverages all their store associates. They have the freedom to make content about the brand, about fashion, about their consumers, about culture. It's a wonderful, creative way. They pay for it, which is wonderful. It shows that it's important and they value it, but it's a very creative way to create content about their brand and build ownership and build passion among your employees for your brand and your organization. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.